Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, seek us that we might be found. Open your word to us that we might know you and know your ways. In Christ's name, amen. I almost said, uh, will you pray with me for the second to last time, but yeah, I skipped over that part. Um, so uh, a few months ago, I was grocery shopping. Our giant is called Martin's. And um, I was driving home from grocery shopping, a load of groceries in the back. And I reached over to find into, to dig into my purse to put my sunglasses on because the sun was beating down. And maybe you can guess what I'm going to say next. Uh, my purse wasn't there. And uh, oh my gosh, you know that sick feeling? I'm seeing some of your faces like you recognize that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. I didn't have much cash on me, but oh, if I had to replace that, you know. Uh, Anyway, I pull over to the side of the road. There's a little, you know, shopping, another shopping area. I pulled into the parking lot and got out thinking, oh, please let it. Maybe I put it in the back when I put the grocery bags in the back. So I pull up the hatch and search through all, multiple times through all those grocery bags, hoping against hope that it was there. And you've, some of you have seen my purse. It's kind of blue and black, you know. I mean, you can't miss it, right? But still I'm plowing through those grocery bags. What a sick feeling. So it wasn't there, so I had no choice but to make my way back to the grocery store. I remembered exactly, I had chatted with the cashier, and so I remembered, I'm sure she remembered me, it hadn't been that long. So I um, raced into the, you know, the checkout line and said, did you see my purse? I know it, because I knew I'd paid for the groceries, so I'd had to pull my wallet out. Maybe I left my wallet, you know, sometimes I do things like that. A anyway, um, no, sorry, no, maybe ask at the service desk. So I go to the service desk, no, no, she's looking around the desk, no, no. Uh, let me check in the back. Well, I knew it hadn't been that long. It was probably not in the back, just saying. Anyway, so she checks in the back. She gets everyone else who's kind of in the office there to, like, have you seen this? And no, no, no. And I, I'm like, oh, great. You know, here I have visions of the next few weeks with no license and who knows what's happening to my credit cards. In the meantime, you know what's going through my head. And I start to walk out, and my eye kind of goes down by not the checkout counter where I'd been, but two or three counters down towards the door, and there it was, leaning up against the back of the checkout counter down on the floor. I mean, there it was. Well, well I didn't care how it got there, just saying. And I picked it up and went out and so relieved. Do you, any of you identify with that feeling? I mean, most of you don't carry purses, right? But anyway, you identify with that relief, joy, my, my weeks ahead had totally got been transformed, you know, in, in a moment. That feeling of relief and joy when that lost object is found. Both of the parables that Mike just read for us are stories about lost things that are found and the relief and joy that come. 
And they're, they're familiar sounding sagas, right? They're culturally appropriate to Jesus' day, but we identify with them if we even just take a moment. Jesus is asking us to reimagine lost and found things. Lost sheep, lost coin. But why? Why is he doing this? Well, in the context, we get a clue. The passage begins with a description of two groups of people who were at, in the room with Jesus that day. Uh, and they had two different responses to Jesus. Now, at the end of the previous, this starts in um, chapter 15, but at the end of chapter 14, the last verse says, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And so then Luke ha tells these stories uh, that Jesus had told to see, okay, do they listen? Do they have ears? Will they hear? And we are introduced to two groups. The first group, of course, sinners and tax collectors, or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, men and women of questionable reputation. <laughs> They're certainly not the religious folks, just saying, all right? And what's their stance towards Jesus? Where are their ears? They are listening intently. They are drawing near to him. They can't get enough of Jesus. And really, everywhere Jesus goes, these people are crawling around him, pushing up against him. They don't want to miss a word. They just can't get enough of him. But there's a second group there, right? Who are they? the Pharisees and the scribes. They're the religious folks. Now, you know in the Gospels that the Pharisees do get a bad rap. But, and sometimes I think that means that we don't really understand who they are. I mean, they were the religious scholars. They were the obeyers. They were the obedient ones. They followed God's rules and, and worked hard to create a culture where everyone followed God's rules. And the scribes, they're the ones who spoke out, taught it, explained it to people. This is what the scriptures say. So you might say they're the priests and the seminary professors, right, of their day. And what's their stance toward Jesus? It's very different, isn't it? We're told they were grumbling. They were complaining. And what were they complaining about? This guy receives sinners and eats with them. How horrible. Doesn't he know what he's doing? Now, just a reminder, stepping back, looking at the culture of Jesus' day, to receive a guest and to eat with him was not like meeting someone at, um, for coffee at Starbucks or De Clue, right? It wasn't. To receive a guest and eat with him was to bestow honor and acceptance from the host to the guest. So nobles in that day might feed poor people, but they would never eat with them, right? You don't deign to eat with your underlings, the outcasts, and they would never eat with them. And, and so to eat with Roman collaborators or other outcasts, those who need correction and punishment, those who weren't worthy of acceptance and honor, this was scandalous behavior. So that's why the Pharisees are grumbling. 
Jesus knows what's going on. He doesn't miss anything. He's a smart guy. So he tells these two parables in response to what he notices about these two groups of people. One group of people, outcasts, sinners, who can't get enough of him, and another group of people, the religious leaders, who grumble. So the first story, and they're as usual as Jesus does. He, he tricks us by using a little homely story that has a catch, an edge. Uh, well, more like a knife tip for us. Uh, first one, lost sheep. Lost sheep, one in a hundred. One sheep in a hundred, a flock of a hundred. Now, if the flock is about a hundred people and they're from a peasant village, normally it would not be shepherded by one person, right? Maybe 40 might be shepherded by one, but a hundred. And, and what would happen in the village is several families would join together and hire family members to be their shepherds. So each morning, out of the family's courtyards, the sheep would come with their family member hired shepherds, and they'd go into the wilderness um, to, to graze, right? And then each night, they'd bring them back into the courtyard of the home so they would be safe at night from predators, which, of course, most predators are nocturnal, so at night they'd come out. And uh, it's, it's sort of an extended family kind of thing. And before bringing the sheep home, the shepherd, one of the shepherds would count the sheep because they were responsible for them. So they'd have to give, you know, a, a reason. If one was missing, they'd have to explain why. Was it lost? Was it killed? Did it, you know, break its neck or, you know, whatever. So here's one, one is lost. And, and Jesus says very pointedly to the Pharisees and scribes, which one of you, he says, wouldn't go after it if the sheep was lost. Which one of you? Now, like, there's a little double entendre there. Of course, the implication is, of course you would go. But um, these people, shepherds of Israel, they might be, but they didn't really want to be called shepherds. It was not, shall we say, uh, uh, a high, highly sought-after occupation. Can we say that? So... Um, in any case, he, any shepherd who's lost a sheep would go after the lost sheep. But it's a tricky job because sheep, when they're frightened or lost, freeze, right? They don't move around. It's not like you can just kind of find them out there somewhere. And they often might be caught in a bramble or something, and they, and they freeze. They're immobile. They bleat. So you have to use your ears, well, and your eyes, and remember night is falling, and then as night falls, there's a danger of predators, puts the shepherd in danger, multiple levels of danger, right? So this shepherd is searching for this sheep because he either has to produce it or have a reason. And so when he finds the sheep, there's relief and joy. Even though his job isn't done finding him, right? He has to carry him because remember, the sheep is scared. He can't, like, take, like he did with the rest of the flock, push him onward. He has to take him up on his shoulders. So that cute picture we often see of Jesus with the lamb, like that lamb was heavy. He had a long journey back. It's a hard job, but what is the emotion as he does that? Joy. Joy. Hard work. 
with joy. He picks up the sheep, and even as he's bearing a heavy burden, he rejoices. And then when he gets home, joy isn't done, right? He calls out to his neighbors. Joy is shared by the relieved family. The family is joyful because the sheep is back, but frankly, I think they're rejoicing because the shepherd is back, right? He's safe and sound. So the relieved family, the shepherd, and the other villagers are all rejoicing. They were good at partying, better maybe than we are. Jesus was very good at partying too, right? Anyway, so joy in finding. Much more joy than the joy I had when I found my purse. And Jesus goes on. Or what woman, he doesn't say what woman of you, because it's probably a gathering of men, and like it's bad enough to call them, the she call them shepherds, but to call them, yeah, okay. So what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search diligently until she finds it? Again, this idiom, what shepherd of you, what woman, it's an idiom that expects an answer of, of course we would. It's not, it's not really a question, right? It's, a, it's an explanation. Of course you would. Unthinkable that the woman wouldn't search as unthinkable as it would be for a shepherd not to search for the lost sheep. Ten coins, probably part of a necklace. So one of them, this is the value, is more than just the value of the coin. It was probably a peasant community that's self-sufficient, so not a lot of money. I mean, they had goods, but not money. In whatever case, this coin was valuable, had value to her, worth searching for. Probably the floor was uh, beaten down ground, you know, dirt floor, beaten dirt floor. So she's sweeping, thinking that the coin could have gotten lost under a piece of dirt that got loosened, and she sweeps and sweeps diligently. Hard work until she looks. Sweep, look, sweep, look. And then she finds it. She finds it. And the same relief and joy that the, she that the shepherd had, the woman has. And what does she do? She throws a party. She gets her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she found that coin. She rejoices. Her joy is not complete until it's shared with the community. So what is Jesus up to in these two little homely stories? What's he getting at? First, it's a biting challenge to the grumblers, right? To the Pharisees, to the scribes. And I think his listeners might have been chuckling when they heard him, right? First of all, none of those spoken to would deign to be caring for sheep even though leaders of God's people throughout scripture are called shepherds of Israel. They're called shepherds, but don't call me a shepherd, a real shepherd. And it's an interesting word choice that Jesus uses for the sheep being lost. In that culture, you usually don't say, I lost something, right? You say, it was lost, right? You say, my pencil dropped itself, rather than, I dropped my pencil. Right? You, don't, you don't take on blame. But here, the way Jesus describes it, they, the, the shepherd lost the sheep. 
It was the shepherd's fault. And you can't miss that uh, if you understand the idiom. So imagine sitting there and being one of those Pharisees and scribes. That's what Jesus is saying. You call yourselves shepherds of Israel, and you're unwilling to do what any shepherd would do? You turn your backs on the one God loves, the ones God loves, on the ones God is seeking. I'm doing what you are meant to do, and all you're doing is grumbling. You are meant to seek after the lost. You are meant to rejoice with what they are found, not grumble that they don't belong there. Of course, he didn't say any of that, right? He just told this homely little story, but they did not miss the point. You are meant to join in to the party when the lost ones are found instead of criticizing their spiritual hunger. And hear the bite in the ending of this the shepherd story. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 99 righteous persons who need no repentance? I mean, listen to what Jesus has just said about them. That's what they think of themselves. I'm righteous. I need no repentance. Who is really lost and found in this parable? Or in the parable of the coin? The second thing, so first, a biting challenge to those grumblers. But second, it's a vivid picture of the character of God. Think of it. It's a vivid picture of what God is like, his diligence, his persistence in searching for the loss, willing to face danger, willing to sweep over and over, willing to keep looking and looking, willing to search, rejoicing, too, in finding the lost, even if it's costly or demanding, even if it's a lot of work, rejoicing. Just as you and I would search for our lost wallets, lost phones, or my lost purse, Jesus searches even more than that for those of us who are lost, who, like sheep, can't find our way out of the brambles because we're frozen. We have to be found. It's interesting in this story. There's no word about repentance, right? The lost ones don't turn around. The lost ones are found by a seeking and searching God. They're frozen in their lostness. They are unable to turn around. But that doesn't stop God from seeking them out and finding them. And then it's a picture of God who invites the whole community to rejoice together when a lost one is found. The it's almost like the finding isn't really done until the party's been held, right? I loved last week, in the, I wasn't here last week, as you know, as Jim announced, but um, I watched, I loved when the four baptized people were presented and the congregation applauded and whooped and hollered, right? That's a little bit of a picture of how we're meant to rejoice over one's 
not in this case, but in some cases, over those that we might wiggle over, just saying, okay? Uh, such delight as we welcome the newly baptized is a picture of what God is like, right? God's joy. God's joy is not complete until we share in it. Do you think of God that way? Some days I do. Do you think of God diligently searching for you and you and you and those maybe you don't necessarily want him to search for? None of you are like that, I know, but do you think of God that way as searching no matter what the cost and then rejoicing, dragging everyone to rejoice with him? You know, the Apostle Paul got this. In the passage we heard today, remember he talks about the fact. Now remember, he was a Pharisee. At one point he calls himself the Pharisee above all Pharisees, right? He, he had cred as a Pharisee. And he, this is what he says about himself. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, that in me, as the foremost sinner, that is, the foremost lost one, that is, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul understood that for all his religious credentials, he was lost. And it was only when he was found by Jesus that he was found, right? He didn't turn around until Jesus found him. And that's why he was so passionate about seeking and searching for other lost souls, particularly Gentiles, who as a Pharisee, he had formerly considered outcast, untouchable, certainly not eatable with. I know that's incorrect grammar, but. Paul received mercy. He was found, and he participated in the joy of finding others and rejoicing with his God about them. What about us? Do we recognize ourselves as lost till we're found by Jesus? And I think that doesn't just happen one time, although it does. Do we recognize that we are lost until Jesus seeks us out, searches for us, takes on the work and weight of us? Or are we perfectly righteous? Not in need of repentance. Do we rejoice even when the work is hard, when someone is found? Or do we grumble when their lives don't measure up to our standards or ideals? I mean, maybe we don't do it externally, but how about it? Wouldn't it be great if Truro were the kind of place uh, where people were regularly found, so regularly found that some of us started getting uncomfortable, almost getting close to grumbling because of the people in our midst that, uh, I'll just put a fill in the blank there, okay? Right? Wouldn't it be great, at least until we remembered we're lost too? Wouldn't that be great if we were more and more that way? 
as we walk with Jesus toward Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke, we're getting closer and closer to the cross, right? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I kind of feel like every sermon in the last few weeks has been the same sermon, right? It's over and over again. Are you noticing? Do you have my priorities, Jesus is saying? Do you notice who's not here? Are you grumbling about the people who should be here? Are you following my example? And I, I feel as if, maybe it's just me, but I feel as if he's going deeper and deeper. Like, okay, you didn't get it that time. How about this time? How about this time? How about this time? May today be the day when we get it. Not just each of us, but all of us, when we get it more and more, that we get how much he loves us. That we get how much he searches for us, how much work he's willing to take on to clean us up and make us found, and that we'll be like him, willing, joyfully willing to do that same kind of seeking, the hard work of seeking, prodding, poking that he does for us. Because Jesus wants us found, not lost, right? Jesus wants us celebrating at his table, not grumbling. Jesus wants us sharing in the very hard work, hard but worth it work, of seeking those who need to be found. So may we join him. May we be the ones who draw near to hear, who listen intently. May we not be a people who grumble. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who never gives up searching and that even when we think we're found, you keep finding us, shaping us. Will you make us like you? Will you make us a community of people who follow your example to seek the lost, whatever they look like? And may we be a people who rejoice when your lost people are found. In Christ's name, amen.